from the Financial Times in London, I'm Andrew Jack, and this is FT News. How are we doing in the battle against infectious diseases around the world, and particularly those borne by insects such as dengue and malaria? My guest today is Janet Hemingway, the outgoing director of the Liverpool School for Tropical Medicine, and I'm joined by Clive Cookson, the FT's science editor. So Janet, Tell us, first of all, how are we doing? We read reports about malaria coming to Corsica and to Italy. There's discussions about climate change. There's still a huge burden, of course, of infectious disease borne by insects. Are we winning the fight? We're certainly doing a lot better than we were. So if I look back over the 17 years I've been at the school, over that time period, we've moved from 2 million children a year under the age of five dying of malaria to less than 600,000. Now, that's still 600,000 too many, but it's certainly a great deal better than it was. And if we can keep that moving, that's great. But if you actually look at the curve, you see that that curve has started to flatten out. Because I think we've had many of the early gains and early wins, and we now need to concentrate on the real heartlands of where malaria transmission is at its height and is hardest to get. There are other diseases like dengue that have gone the other way. And over that time period, dengue has increased dramatically. And that's largely because the mosquitoes that transmit dengue have moved. They've gone into populations where you don't have immunity to the dengue virus and the virus has followed the mosquitoes. So what are some of the tools that the Liverpool School, amongst others, has been working on to tackle these issues? We've been working on various fronts, certainly on the new drugs for malaria and for the vector control, new formulations of insecticides, new insecticides, new bed nets, new means of measuring how well these work. Because it's not only having the new tools that can actually improve the situation, you've actually got to get them out there, get them used and make sure that they work properly. Do you think there's more to gain from attacking the malaria parasite or from attacking the mosquitoes that spread the disease, the vectors? I think you have to do both. It was really interesting. It's taken us until three years ago, really, to get a measure of how well the vector control and the drug control work together. But I think it surprised an awful lot of people that around 68% of the gain that we've had in reduction of transmission of malaria has been due to the vector control from the nets and from the indoor residual spraying as they've been scaled up dramatically in Africa. Now, if you'd have asked most clinicians to give a figure off the top of their heads, I'm sure that figure would have been way lower than that. But vector control alone won't actually sort the disease out and the drugs alone won't sort the disease out. Out. We have to put both of those together and they have to both be working at the same time in the same place. How excited are you by the more futuristic prospects of genetically engineering the insects so that we can wipe out or greatly reduce the numbers of mosquitoes that could spread malaria, dengue, etc.? I started life as a geneticist, so I'm absolutely delighted to see that molecular biology has moved on so fast in my lifetime that we're now at the point where we can have the technology to even think about this and take it forward. I think we've still got quite a way to go before that technology really hits big mainstream. I think at the moment we're doing very well with the Aedes. That's one species that transmits a range of diseases. If you look at malaria, a very different situation where you've got many, many different species of mosquito and to genetically engineer every one of those would be a mammoth task. So let's concentrate just on the Aedes aegypti to start with and say, OK, how well is that going to work? I think the early technology coming through, you're looking at formats of sterile males in one format or another. And that means rearing vast numbers of mosquitoes to actually put out there. That's pretty expensive technology. 
But it's good technology in as much as you're taking a lot of the pressure off the chemical insecticides, which, if you rely on those completely, are going to fail. So I think we need a balance of different technologies, and I think the GM mosquitoes are one. I think the next range of technology coming through is the genetic engineering of mosquitoes, so you get a gene drive system that will actually push whatever characteristic you want through the population of the mosquitoes. In many ways, that's a more exciting technology, and CRISPR-Cas coming through means that we have now a means of engineering the mosquitoes that's quicker, easier, faster and better than anything we'd had before. But it's not going to be without its problems. There is so much plasticity in the mosquito genome and so much variability in there that people are already starting to talk about resistance to that GM approach because of that high variability in the mosquito genome. And we're going to have to think about that very carefully if we're going to be able to make this work. We should mention that there's also a lot of environmental anti-GM opposition to this approach, isn't there? Absolutely. So very interesting to see when the mosquitoes were released in response to the Zika outbreak, the pushback against it, particularly in the US, where an awful lot of people really didn't want to see this technology used. So I think we not only have to make sure that the technology works, but that the human populations in the places that we want to deploy this are happy to do this. Because you release these things and mosquitoes don't carry passports so they're going to move across borders and you've got to get agreement from the whole population you're working with that you're going to do this. And at the same time there's this huge rise of resistance both to some of the existing drugs but also to the insecticides to tackle mosquitoes. Are we quite optimistic there or are we beginning to go backwards from where we were a few years ago do you think? So I think certainly resistance has started to build hugely particularly drug resistance a problem. ACTs now are our last line of defence, if you like, on the drug side. And we know that we're getting resistance to the ACTs coming up in Southeast Asia. These artemisinin derivatives, yes. That's right. And similarly with the insecticides, so that we had until very recently been completely reliant on pyrethroids. Ten years ago, there was very little pyrethroid resistance in Africa. Now you can't go anywhere and find mosquitoes that are not resistant to pyrethroids in Africa. And so we're very rapidly having to shift away from that technology. And what we're trying to do at the moment is work out how we not only develop the new insecticides, because that's happening, the new formulations, so they're improved, and actually put those in combinations exactly like we do with the drugs to try and reduce the resistance, but that we get those new products out there quite quickly. And that means a new way of being able to look at these at scale operationally, where we know these things are going to be as good as, if not better than what we've already got, and almost embed a randomised control trial in an operational release. And we're doing that for the very first time in Uganda right now with a massive trial of new combination bed nets that have a synergist and an insecticide together. But these are being done as part of the big operational bed net distribution for Uganda as a whole with the agreement of the Ministry of Health and the donors. And if we can get that to work in multiple places, we can then bring this technology out more rapidly to market rather than having to do standalone trials that are going to take many, many years and more dollars than we have available. And if you look back over your tenure as director, what's perhaps some of the most exciting research that you've been involved with, which have had the greatest impact? I think there's huge amounts of really good research that has been going on over that time period. Just to highlight a few, 
actually taking the finding of Valbachia in the filarial worm and developing new antibiotics and using old antibiotics to actually control those and working out that we could not only cure the disease but actually reverse some of the symptoms because many people felt the symptoms of filariasis once you had them were irreversible and we've been able to show that that isn't the case. This is lymphatic filariasis, huge filariasis. debilitating condition. Yeah. And then looking at HIV, that link between HIV, TB, malaria how do we reach the rural populations? How do we make sure that those populations who can't afford to get to the places where they can get the drugs, never mind the drugs themselves, and looking at changing that whole health systems approach to actually delivering something like TB treatment, I think has moved an enormous distance over the time frame I've been there. And also then thinking about new technologies in terms of how are we going to reach adolescents, hard-to-reach populations with HIV that don't normally come in for testing? How do we take some of the stigma away from testing? How do we make sure as self-testing comes into the system that it is done appropriately and people then get to the right treatments in the right time frame? So an awful lot of social science going on around those areas, which is hugely exciting and having a big impact. And where I think a lot of what we're learning in the tropics is relevant to the UK and the developed world as well. Janet, you're stepping down in the coming months as director of the Liverpool School, but what plans going forwards? So I'm certainly not retiring. Um, those who know me um, laugh. My daughter did say that when people ask me whether I retire, that would be a new definition of retirement. So I'm looking at having more fun, in fact, with the science. I've had great fun running the school for many years. I've only been doing that for 50% of my time over the last 15 years. And so I will carry on with the other 50% with the science I'm already doing. But it does give me 50% of my time to actually then pick one or two of those real areas that I've got a, an interest in and see over the final years of my career whether I can actually make a bigger difference than I've already made to date. So if you pick one, what would it be? To be honest, there are a lot of consumer products out there that people buy to actually stop themselves getting bitten by mosquitoes. We have no idea what impact, if any, of those products have on reduction of disease transmission. The companies would love to see that that happens, but I'd also love to see products that consumers want that actually would impact on transmission and a means of measuring how we do that, because that consumer market is huge and it's an untapped resource as far as going that extra mile in terms of, of reducing transmission of many of these insect-borne diseases. So I think trying to get my head around that with many of my industrial colleagues and see whether we can move that field further on is something I'd really like to do. Both providing protection, but also actually presumably removing a false sense of security potentially, which Absolutely. is widespread. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we've got now, but Janet Hemingway, thanks very much. Thanks to my colleague Clive Cookson from FT News in London. Thanks for listening. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.